You guys ever had that feeling of being the odd person out because you're a Christian? Whether it be just hanging out in the office or whether it be talking to your neighborhood friends or, or seeing someone you haven't seen in a while and it just kind of comes to that place where, where you, you have different worldviews, you have different perspectives and then you feel that kind of awkwardness where they kind of laugh at you. You might be the butt of the joke. You might be having side comments about whatever. And we have to remember in the United States, it's still the easiest place on earth to be a Christian. And we are thankful for that. Because right now, there are believers gathered together under threat of arrest, under threat of torture, or under threat of even execution if they are caught meeting. I mean, again, if you read the headlines, think about what it's like to be a Christian in Afghanistan right now. With the Taliban rolling through every city, and if you're found to be a Christian, you are killed. Think about that. Think about holding church like that. Ever think about how far you'd actually go with this Jesus thing? Like, like, when it gets beyond just uncomfortable, like, how far are you actually going to take this? I mean, when push comes to shove, how serious are we about this? Are we going to take a little mocking? Do we mind being the butt of the joke with our neighbors? Are we okay with being marginalized or even deeply understood because we hold to such things like a biblical view of gender, marriage, and sexuality? How far will you trust God in those things? What's the other option? Giving into fear. The other option is giving into fear and caving because let's face it, those things are hard. And some Christians right now, again, are facing far worse than, than we'll ever face. And Jesus has been warning his disciples the tide is turning. He says persecution is coming. He will teach his disciples and us this morning about fear versus trust. And so head on over, if you're not there already, to Matthew 10. Were you guys good for Pastor Josh and those other guys? Because I'm going to ask him. And if he says you misbehaved, we're going to have a problem, okay? But he said you guys were good. I already asked him. I'm very, very thankful for, for Ryan and for Andy and for our own John Lisa and for Josh uh, filling in. So thank you. But as last week, Josh uh, so well unpacked for you, Jesus has started to get into some real talk of what's coming for the disciples. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. He said it's going to be persecution. As they go about the mission of the gospel, they're going to experience more persecution. They'll be rejected. They're going to face opposition. Division is coming. Persecution is coming. They and we will be called to persevere. Why is he telling them this? To prepare them. Why am I telling you this? To prepare you. That's what God's word does. There will be times when we are tempted to give in to fear, to worry, to anxiety, and most particularly when we are facing resistance for being a Christian. And so Jesus is preparing the disciples and us to face that temptation with words of preparation. Look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 26. Jesus starts right off. He says, so <clears throat> have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And we need to ask questions of the text. Anytime we look at a text, we should ask a bunch of questions of it. And so the first question I thought of is, who is he talking about? He says, Has no, have no fear of them. Well, who's them? Who is he talking about? And, and, well, we, we have a so, we have a therefore that starts this passage. So therefore, it connects it to the passage that went before it, where Jesus was talking about them is those who will oppose you 
for being a Christian. Those who will oppose you for the message of the gospel. Those who will resist or reject the gospel message. And those that might even inflict some form of persecution upon you for your faith. And how does he tell his disciples when that happens how to react? He says, have no fear of them when that happens. This is the first of not one, not two, but three times that Jesus is going to tell us in this passage to do not fear. Have no fear. And I've broken up the outline, hopefully, to match each one of those, and we'll dig up application from each. Because each time he tells them do not fear, he tells them why they should not fear. And so let's, let's look at why he tells them this first time why to have no fear of them. He says, because nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. Meaning the truth will always come out. The truth will be revealed. And so let's grab our first point right from the jump. Disciples should not fear because God knows the truth. Disciples should not fear because God knows the truth. The truth will come out. And here's a point to make right up front as well. It might not be when we want it to come out. Right? It might not even be in this life. And if you've ever been wronged, like really wronged, like you knew you were right and that person completely misunderstood you and therefore there was this conflict between you or else you faced some sort of slack and static because of this major misunderstanding and you were right, doesn't that just burn you? Don't you want to be like, like you just don't understand, like I, this is, that's not what I said or that's not what I meant or that's not what I did. You want the truth to come out so badly, but it doesn't sometimes, Right? And we are so quick to self-justify, aren't we? One of my favorite authors says that we all have an inner self-defense attorney. And he says as Christians, we have to fire our inner self-defense attorney. Because we want to quickly just be like, no, no, that's not, no, no, I'm right, no, no, right? We want to jump to that right away. And Jesus says, have no fear of them because... The truth will come out because God knows the truth. But we've got to think, church, we've got to think long term. The truth might not come out by Tuesday. It might not even come out five years from now. It might not come out till judgment day. But rest assured, this is how we cannot fear is because God knows the truth already. And so if we are taking static for being Christians, we need to have that understanding sometimes it burns us so much that we think like why don't they understand why don't they get it why are they resisting this message why don't they understand it as truth god knows the truth and it will come out one day we need to think that long-term look first corinthians 4 5 tells us it says therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is how we've got to think. Like, like the truth is, is, is okay with God. It's not my job. I am not the junior Holy Spirit. The Trinity is complete. It does not need any help from me to make the, church, the, the truth come out. And so in light of this, how else should we be living? Look at back in Matthew 10. Look at verse 27. It'll tell us the application. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Just don't let the darkness of fear obscure the light that is in you. Don't let that, that fear, that potential of fear, obscure who you are in Christ. 
once many years ago, I was procrastinating going into the office when I was still a corporate monkey. And I was in the parking lot and I was talking to a sister in Christ on the phone and it was just one of those days, probably a Monday, where, where darkness was just everywhere. Like I couldn't see the hand in front of my face emotionally. I was consumed with fear and worry and anxiety. I just did not want to go to work. And, and this sister in Christ just happened to call me. You know, one of those happened to call you kind of things. And she quoted this verse, and I'll never forget it. And she said, don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. And she just spoke life into my soul that day. And I always remember that passage. Big shout out to Stacy Pop for doing that. But church, don't doubt the truth that God whispers into our souls in the dark. And when we get into the light, it is time to proclaim it. And sometimes when we're in the dark, we can't see it, but that doesn't make it any less true. Jesus also means here in context that the disciples didn't know the whole story yet. He says, what I'm telling you now is somewhat obscured. It's somewhat dark. Because why? Jesus is still alive. He's still walking around. The cross hasn't happened yet. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. So when Jesus is preparing them, he says, it looks kind of dark and fuzzy right now. I told you what's going to happen, but someday you're going to see it in the light, and then you're going to need to proclaim it. He's almost saying, after this work is done, then it's going to be your time to stand on the rooftops and proclaim the gospel boldly. And church, we live on this side of the cross. We know the work has been finished completely. We know that Jesus is alive. We know the gospel is true. And as the culture continues to grow darker and more resistant to who we are, we have to be bold. We have to be the ones, church, who do climb up to the rooftop and boldly proclaim. I'm not talking about physically. It's a metaphor, right? If you want to do that in your neighborhood, okay, you might be called weird. You might get arrested, whatever. But be bold is what he's saying. You have to be bold in saying, no, this is not true. This is the truth, and this is what I stand for, and this is what the Bible says. And church, it is time to do that. It is past time to do that. Too many churches are caving in to try to capitulate to the culture. We need to shout it from the rooftops, and that will always be in contradiction to the world and to the world's anti-God agenda. Always. Because the world is in rebellion against God. Now there are rebel subjects that are running throughout God's kingdom and God in his grace is withholding his judgment while the work of the church, what we do in proclaiming the gospel, goes out and hopefully will bring to light the truth of the message of the gospel as we make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Mark has a parallel passage in Mark chapter 4 where he says, picks up this concept. I'm going to read it in CSB. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not under a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And he says, If anyone has ears, let him hear. This speaks to us in general, right? That first part of that verse is so familiar. Christians, where is our hope in Christ? Is it being hidden? out of fear are we hiding the light of christ out of fear for what people may think of us may do to us whatever and the opposite application is true sometimes our anxiety runs so high because we're hiding our sins under a basket this truth applies here too you think you're getting away with sin you're not getting away with sin 
Whatever was hidden is going to be revealed. It's so often that we have increased level of anxiety because what? We're harboring sin in our hearts. It's going to come out. Confess and repent. That's the source of life right there. In other words, we don't... So the opposite application, again, is true. Sometimes it runs so high, our anxiety, because we don't want our sins to be public. Solution, be legit. Make, make, make your confession match your actual life. We feel that tension. It's supposed to be there. It's the Holy Spirit. Are you under attack then for what you stand for as a Christian? We all will be at one time or another to whatever degree the Lord allows. But do not be in, in fear. God knows the truth. It's our job to proclaim it from the rooftops, especially in the face of fear. And it's hard to be misunderstood. The disciples were misunderstood. We will be misunderstood. But some believers face even worse persecution. And that's where Jesus goes next. Look at verse 28 in Matthew 10. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the second command. Jesus says, do not fear. And Jesus tells them, even if you are persecuted up until death. And we can be shocked at this. But the reality is, this is, this is what happened to Jesus, isn't it? Jesus was persecuted unto death. This is what happened to most of the disciples he's speaking to right now. Martyred for their faith. This is what happened to many men and women who dared to attempt to translate the Bible into English so that the corruption of the Catholic Church could be revealed. This is what Christians in North, Car uh, North Carolina, North Korea, <laughs> North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Nigeria, and many other places where being a Christian can literally be a death warrant. And think about being in one of those places right now and reading this verse. Again, think about being in Afghanistan and reading verse 28 where you can hear the footsteps of the Taliban. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. This verse is life-giving to people in those situations, and it should be life-giving to us as well. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. The soul, by definition, cannot be, cannot be killed. One lexicon defines it as that which is integral to being a person. Beyond mere physical function, you can kill the body, you can stop the heart from beating, but you can't kill a soul. Jesus, in his unmatched wisdom, then flips this around and tells the disciples then who they should fear instead. He says it this way, disciples should fear God, not man. Disciples should fear God, not man. What Jesus is saying here is, yes, they might kill you, and then what? This life is temporary and eternity awaits. And Jesus has the power to destroy what men cannot, the soul in hell for eternity. Some might use this as an argument for what's called annihilationism, right? Meaning that without faith in Christ, there's not really a hell. There's just a cease to exist. You just, you just go dark after death. And unfortunately, the only problem with that false doctrine is the Bible, because hell is characterized as a place of eternal punishment. Other passages tell this horrible truth. We were to jump quickly over to a really scary passage in 2 Thess Thessalonians. 
starting in verse 5 of chapter 1, it says, This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, watch this, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. This is tough stuff. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't preach about what hell truly is. And Jesus says, you want to fear somebody? Fear somebody who could send you to hell for eternity. They can kill the body, but they can't kill the soul. You fear me, you don't fear them. You fear God, you don't fear men. This is what gave the Apostle Paul to strength, to, the strength to say in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, great, what are you going to do? Kill me? Gain. I go to heaven. And a couple years later, his head was separated from his body. This is what gave William Tyndale the strength to pray for his persecutors as he was burned at the stake for translating the Bible into English. This is what gives our Lord Jesus the depth of conviction on the cross to say to Telestai, it is finished. To pray for his persecutors that they do not know what they do and ask for their forgiveness, to give up his life on the cross. How did they and countless others do this? They feared God more than man. That's how they did it. That's how the martyrs did it. That's how Jesus did it. Let's face it, probably none of us in this room will face death for being a Christian. In all great likelihood, probably none of us will. But we can't say the same for those in other countries. The blessings and the curses of being in the United States. I, I think about that often. Right? We have such comfort here. We have such wealth here. We have such distractions with entertainment and everything else, but yet it lulls us to sleep from the realities of what the eternal significance is and what our brothers and sisters are facing around the world. And that's what Jesus is saying. Guys, get ready for this. And church, what we face, we face a society at large that has turned against God in profound and bold ways. And they'll continue to. And it's going to be increasingly difficult to be a Christian, to stand against the tidal wave of this cultural insanity. We have to remember that we need to fear God above whatever persecution is coming our way. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are not in our situation. Go to the Voice of the Martyrs website, do some reading, educate yourself in what it's like around the world to be a Christian. And so even if we will not face death for our faith, we all still struggle, though, with fear of man, don't we? And ours, again, is prominently this Americanized and emotional fear of man. What will they think of me? Will they not approve me? I need to keep up my appearances, my image, my status, whatever. I need this person to like me. Our fear of man is often derived by caring far too much what people think. Or what we think other people think about us, which is usually not right. The fear of man is a preoccupation with the opinions of others, and it's a trap, Highlands. 
That's what Proverbs tells us. Fear of man is a snare and a trap. Don't fear man, fear God. And when I drop a phrase like fear God, we've got to unpack that a little bit because I don't want God to, we have to look at God's balance of his attributes in this. God is not waiting to send us to hell if we don't love him with his finger on the red button. That's not our kind of God that we're talking about. He is our loving, heavenly, sovereign father who cares for us deeply. Look at verse 29. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. There's our third command, to fear not. The third command to not fear is embedded in the midst of this very familiar passage that demonstrates the jaw-dropping sovereignty and the jaw-dropping care and love of our God. Sparrows, one of the most common foods for the poor people in that that day and age. They were the cheapest commodity sold at the market for food for the poor. Even here, like when you step outside, it always seems like there's a ton of sparrows just flying around. They're everywhere. And he says, your heavenly father cares for them. Jesus pulls back the curtain of the sovereignty of God and we see that he cares for the sparrows so much that not one of them falls to the ground. Not one of them dies apart from the plan of God. Not one of them dies apart from God's knowledge and his ordainment. That's his, his sovereign control over all creation. And then Jesus turns it around in this classic, although he doesn't actually come out and say it, his how much more argument that he's been using as we've been going through Matthew, right? He says, if he cares for a bird that nobody even takes notice of, that you can buy in the market for next to nothing for food, that people wouldn't even blink if it died. If he cares for that sparrow, how much more so will he care for you? Because you are his child. Because you are a human being. It's a little glimpse into the theology of animals as well, right? Animals are God's common grace for us, for for food, for beauty and wonder and as pets. But they're not human beings. Human beings are in a class all their own. Human beings are image bearers of God. He says, if I care for my creation, the sparrows like that, how much more will I care for you? He said, God cares for us in ways that are hard for us to understand. Even the hairs of your head, he says, are numbered. I have six. (laughs) At least I did this morning. That's the depth. Ball jokes are just too easy. That's the depth of how much your heavenly father cares for you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows everything that's in your heart. He knows the things that are stirring up your anxiety. He knows the things that are bringing you joy. He knows the comforts that you run to. He knows when you were born and he knows the day you're going to die. All of it is under the control of a loving, sovereign God. That's the depth of how much your heavenly father loves you, church. I love to say that on a Sunday morning because I always feel like there's a bunch of people in here that just need to be reminded of that. God loves you. And loves you like this. Take joy in that. He loves you. He cares for you. But not only that, he's watching over you because you are worth more than many sparrows. Therefore, that is why you should not be afraid. 
And so here's the third point. Disciples should not fear because our sovereign father watches over us. Disciples should not fear because our sovereign father watches over us. One commentator puts it this way. The implication is apparently that nothing happens to the children of a loving father which falls outside of his providential care. It neither takes him by surprise nor frustrates his purpose. And so many times we can think when something happens, when life punches us in the soul or whatever happens, we're like, God, what the heck? Where are you? And he's up there going, I got this. I, I, this is all part of the plan here. I'm not off on a soda break. I understand. what I, You don't think I'm in this? I'm in this. I'm in this with you. There's nothing, I love that quote, there's nothing outside his providential care. Nothing takes him by surprise. There's a famous old hymn written in 1905, and it's been covered by many popular modern artists, and it's called, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And it's too good not to read the whole thing. Alyssa, I put this on the slides, and I forgot to tell you about it. It says, why should I feel discouraged why should, when the shadows come, or why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he? His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled, his tender word I hear and resting on his goodness I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the, the chorus as I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free. Four, because his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Church, what a beautiful picture of our God in his love and his sovereignty and his care. Indeed, a Christian's life is one of periods of discouragement, of shadows, of loneliness, of trouble, of doubts, of fear, and of clouds. And there are even times when it seems hope has died, but in those moments, we must fight to be reminded. His eye is on the sparrow, and therefore I know he watches me. We should not fear because our sovereign father watches over us. And so church, where have, I said you in my notes, but where have we forgotten God's sovereignty? Where have we forgotten God's care? Not a sparrow dies apart from his plan. How does all of that impact the fears, the worries, the anxieties that swirl around our heads on those sleepless nights and those frantic days? Our very hairs are numbered. Your father knows you and loves you that well. How does that strike our lonely, tired, dark hearts? And the doctrine of God's sovereignty, it could either be this club that we beat people with, or it could be a warm blanket that we pull up over our, ourselves at night when the fears come walking. It comforts us with the knowledge that our God is good and that he's in full control of all things. 
that our Heavenly Father can be trusted, and therefore we should not fear. And when we pull all three of these commands together, we can hear the Spirit of God calling us this morning to boldly stand firm where God has called us. And that's where Jesus lands the plane this morning in another sobering passage that brings all this together for us in our calling. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, so, right? He ties this together. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's a strange place to end, I'll admit it. And I toyed with the idea of not ending at this verse. CSV actually cuts this and puts it in the next paragraph. ESV keeps it here. I think it belongs here. I think it belongs here, not because there's a therefore or a so, but I think it directly ties into what we've been talking about. In that moment, whether we be tied to the stake to be set on fire or imprisoned for our faith or even have the courage to stand up in conversations to disagree with an unbiblical thought, that moment, church, defines who we are. And more importantly, that moment defines whose we are. In that moment, will we trust God or will we give in to fear? Fear is what compels us to shut our mouths, to say, I, mm, I heard what he said, but I'm not going to be, mm, I'm not going to, I don't want to, mm. that's fear. Jesus gives us a sobering warning about that. Jesus tells us that our hearts will be revealed in that moment whose we are. The hard truth is that if we acknowledge him, we are his true disciples. If we do not, then we are not. Because fear can reveal where your trust lies or doesn't lie. Now, let's, let's sprinkle grace here a little bit, okay? This doesn't mean we do this every single time, right? This doesn't mean Jesus says, oh, you denied me that one time. You didn't say something to your neighbor, so sorry, this all Christian thing's not going to work out. No, that, there's grace, right? I have blown it, and I will continue to blow opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we all will. There's grace. But what is the consistent posture of our hearts? Are we giving in to fear instead of standing up on who we are? And in that moment where we have that, we need to train ourselves to say no to fear and trust God. And so that's where I want to end. Disciples trust God to the end. Disciples trust God to the end. We persevere as Christians, and it requires a deep, settled trust in who God is that compels us to what? That's why I think this belongs here. This trust, this command to not fear, should compel us to action. It should actually compel us to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we've received. It should actually compel us to open our mouths when we have the opportunity to more times than not. Disciples trust God to the end. We don't always see immediate resolution to whatever is causing us fear. We might lose friends for being a Christian. We might even lose a job for being a Christian. Christians in other countries lose their freedom. Christians in other countries lose their lives. In Highlands, we need to be faithful where God has called us. We're here. We're here. We're in Sussex County. The world more than ever needs us to open up our mouths and speak the truth and the hope that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need to stand on trust in God to do that. We all feel it. I feel it. Believe me, I feel it. 
It's like you get the Holy Spirit comes over you and you're just like, mm, now's the moment. And you're like, mm, yeah, oh, look, a bird. <laughs> and he's like, no, it's like, no. You, you just got to trust God in those moments. We have to trust God because we know we might be misunderstood, but we have to trust God that God does know the truth and that we should not fear. Above all, again, we should realize that once, why in that moment are we tempted to shut down? Because why? Because we're fearing man more than we're fearing God. And so we must remember at that moment, no, as hard as this is, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to fear him above all and not man. We should not fear because God is our loving and sovereign father who cares for us and watches over every aspect of our lives. We should look around at creation. We should look around at his sovereign care and we should see who he is. And we should say, his eyes are on the sparrow, so I know he watches over me. And we should say no to fear. Born in 1628, John Bunyan was perhaps most well-known for writing the famous allegory to the Christian life, The Pilgrim's Progress. But what many people might not know is that in 1661, he was thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. He used that time well, preaching to fellow prisoners and the guards, but particularly writing. He wrote nine books while he was in prison, one of them being Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan was in, pres- in prison for well over a decade, and all he had to do to get out was to renounce Christ. All he had to do to get out was say, I no longer believe this, let me out, and I promise I won't proclaim it anymore. And he didn't do it. What made it worse was that he left his wife and many children at home, one of them being severely handicapped and blind. And he stayed in that prison rather than denying his Savior. He describes this time as though his flesh was being pulled off of his bones. Almost a dozen years he did this. Eventually in 1672, Bunyan was released and resumed serving God by pastoring a local church for many, many more years. And now Christians throughout the centuries have have drawn strength by reading Pilgrim's... If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, y'all need to read Pilgrim's Progress. You can almost... D.A. Carson, I think, says you can smell the prison from where he is in that. But he persisted. Why? He trusted God to the end. He trusted God to the end, and he did not fear prison. He was ready to go the distance. He knew who his God was. And church, let's strive to know our God, to trust our God, and to not fear. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love. We thank you for this passage, Lord. This is a hard passage, an encouraging passage, but it's mixed with with the realization of what awaits those who reject you in eternal punishment in hell. And we would pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not submitted to you, Lord, they would do so. They would not delay. They would submit to you by faith that they would understand that hell is real and God is just. Lord, we pray for all of us as we are all prone to fear, as we're all prone to worry and anxiety from different situations in life. Lord, as as we think about whether that's just from being misunderstood and the truth not being to come out as, as Christians and that we're actually right and the world is marching down the wrong path. 
And we pray even that we would not fear man, that we would fear God. And we would pray, Lord, that in those dark times, we would strive and fight to remember who you are, that because you care sovereignly for your creation, you care for even the sparrow, how much more so will you care for us? Help us, Lord, strengthen our hearts. We don't know what awaits us here in the United States. We do know that it will grow harder to be a Christian. We do know that we will face continued marginalization. And we pray that you will help us to not fear and to trust God to the end. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.